the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. God's purpose for creation is coincident as to timing with when Christ returns in glory. When will creation be renewed and when will things be set straight? In that day when the Lord returns. The creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Or verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now someone says, well, it's not spe- it doesn't say though Christ there. It speaks of our glory. Well, that's true. Uh, our glory is coincident with His glory. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue our study of the book of Romans, and Pastor Scott brings part two of a message titled, Awaiting Glory. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. You could picture uh, children eagerly anticipating, maybe you put the presents under the tree, you know, and they're tempted to look at them and shake them and count the days. That's why we don't put them under the tree around our house. I remember as a kid, it was just like, uh, and your focus becomes what you're looking at. By the way, apply that spiritually. We ought to be regularly thinking about what God has waiting for us. And we will become more and more eager in our anticipation. But the whole message of the whole passage is just that there is an eager anticipation. Now, this present suffering and the future glory combine to create an anxious longing that is combined with, notice, groaning. Groaning. Again, look at it with me. Uh, Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves also, verse 23, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. And interestingly enough, look over at verse 26. The Holy Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, this term groan, it's the idea of sighing and waiting and feeling pressure and being down in a narrow point where there's nowhere to turn and you have no resources in and of yourself and you groan. And we use the term that way all the time, don't we? We just groan. There's like a sigh. It's like a cry. The whole creation is groaning. And you can outline the whole passage around that term. And in fact, let me show you. Verses 19 through 22, the whole creation groans as it eagerly awaits glory. Verses 23 through 25, we believers, we groan as we eagerly await the glory. And verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit, during this waiting period, He's actually interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, that's how I would outline the passage, and we'll take a close look at that. But let's just look at the first one. Let's just look at the first one, verses 19 through 22. The whole creation groans as it eagerly awaits glory. You see, God's purposes are creation-wide. When man sinned, Man messed up a lot more than just man. When Adam sinned, it wasn't just Adam and Eve that came under problem. The whole creation uh, fell under the curse. Look at verse 20. 
For the creation was subjected to futility. You go back and read it in Genesis 3. And the curse wasn't merely on Adam. When man sinned, he messed up more than man. The creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, uh, frustration, uh, transitoriness. It's just a, it's the word that the Greek, uh, translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, when Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes, and remember, he said, vanity of vanities. That's the term here. It's just empty. What, what's it all about? The futility. The creation was subjected to futility. It cannot be what it was meant to be. There's a frustration. There's an emptiness. There's a futility that the creation was subjected to. And so it wasn't just Adam and Eve, but the garden itself. All of a sudden, there's problems and thorns and thistles. And you, you know, that's carried over, isn't it? You talk to any gardener today and you don't just let it, let it go and it'll just produce. No, no. It'll be futile. Uh, this garden is subjected to futility and just left to itself. It, everywhere you look, that's the way things are. Creation just left to itself goes downhill. Uh, that's the world we live in. In fact, scientists have formulated it into laws, the law of entropy. In a closed system, things tend to deteriorate. The whole system, the whole universe it seems is that way. Left to itself, it goes down. And everywhere you look, uh, that's the way things are. By the way, the Bible teaches, and Romans 8 teaches, that the creation is neither in its original condition nor in its final condition. Remember that. It's not what we see today as majestic and awesome as it is and intricate and such a testimony to God and the creation itself bears witness to God's character, but it's not in its original condition and it's not in its final condition either. And so Romans 8 is clearly teaching this, and we need to see that and remember it because it is awe-inspiring and it is majestic and it does leave man without excuse. And we do see his eternal power and divine nature, but someone could, and people do, they might see the intricacy and the majesty, but they don't, and they rightfully would say, yeah, but when I'm out there in it, uh, I enjoy it on certain days, but on other days it's very (laughs) threatening. And in some days there's storms that rip through, and why is that? And if God is good and, you know, the questions can be raised, well, the Scripture answers. The creation has been subjected to futility. And things aren't what they're meant to be, and they're not what they're going to be yet. Though you can still see the reflection of God's eternal power and divine nature. We saw that in Romans chapter 1. Well, somebody asked, how far does this extend? I mean, you know, how far does this extend? And to what extent are things subjected to this futility. How far? I mean, uh, certainly the planet, right? This planet where man sinned. Well, what about the other planets? What about the solar system? What about the galaxies beyond? Well, I'll tell you, I don't know if Mars had trouble earlier, but it does now. NASA got there. I mean, you know, you think about it, destruction. (laughs) Everywhere man goes. And in fact, 
we could speculate, but I would just rather just let the Scripture speak. And look at verse 22. We know that the whole creation, the whole creation, that means what? Everything. Because God is the creator. And the creation has been groaning ever since sin entered the picture. And God had to subject the creation to futility. The whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Well, how bad is it, though? Well, look at verse 21. The creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption. You see, there's a slavery to corruption that is part of the creation as we see it now. And it's going to be set free from that, the Scripture teaches. God who created it and allowed this curse to come in when man sinned and and actually pronounced the curse and subjected creation to this futility, yet he's going to set it free from its bondage, from its slavery to corruption. And we Christians, we ought to know this. God wants us. He puts it right here in Romans 8. is central to our understanding of things that God is going to set things free from this slavery to corruption. Uh, creation as such now, it's not completely ruined. I mean, it's still the earth bears much bounty for us. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing the beauty of nature and the intricacy and the way God provided the cycles and things and so that we do give him rightfully, we give him thanksgiving. And, you know, in our country, that, that holiday began with the joy of realizing how God provides and how, and see behind the creation, the creator. And so it's very proper when we sit down to a meal, every meal, to say, thank you, Lord. I mean, yeah, it's polite to thank the cook and those who prepared it, and, but the food we have, everything we have is from Him, and so we ought to give thanks. And so it's not completely ruined. It's still a majestic testimony to God. In fact, it still leaves people to where you don't have to say, I don't tell the unbeliever you have to take it by faith. They can just see it. Just look at the creation. Well, I don't see that I can see. Well, they're just talking uh, the blind unbelief, wicked talk. I know that because my Bible tells me that the creation itself, they know. Even though they pretend they don't know, they know. So the creation is still an awe-inspiring, majestic testimony to God. It's not ruined. It still serves its purposes. But not like it will. Not like it will. It's uh, not what it was meant to be, nor what it will be. God's purposes are creation-wide, and He's not done with creation. Now, God's purposes for creation are coincident with the return of Christ. Now, watch this. Uh, look at verse 19. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. God's purpose for creation is coincident as to timing with when Christ returns in glory. When will creation be renewed and when will things be set straight? In that day when the Lord returns, the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Or verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now someone says, well, it's not, it doesn't say though Christ there, it speaks of our glory. Well, that's true. 
Uh, our glory is coincident with his glory. Turn over to Colossians. Just look at Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. And this is all, uh, you know, tied together. We're going to see... We're going to see this more thoroughly when we look at kind of the second part of this section, our glory, and the suffering that precedes our glory and what God's going to do. But right now I'm just talking about the creation, and I'm saying it's coincident with the return of Christ in glory because it's coincident with our revealing, the, the glory, the, re, the revelation of our glory. And that's what the creation is waiting for. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have new life now. We're children of God. And as I opened up and said, why doesn't it look that way? Well, our life is hidden with Christ. That we get the same treatment Christ gets today. You bring Christ up. I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> don't bring that up. That's the basic tone of unbelief. Now, don't, when I say that, don't forget that many people are ready to hear. And when we bring up Christ, we will see the Holy Spirit win people to himself. But uh, by and large, our life is hidden with Christ. And God, the world kind of puts Christ aside. He's gone. You know, you know what really counts is who's going to be president or you know, what, whether we can get this business deal accomplished or whatever. But uh, our life is hidden with Christ in God. But, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Revelation 1, every eye will see him and we'll be revealed with him in glory. So the creation and God's purpose for creation and setting it free from its bondage will be coincident with the return of Christ. In the meantime, in the meantime, uh, there's groaning. But it's good for us to look ahead and see where the groaning leads, where the pains of childbirth together lead. I want to read a couple Christmas texts. Turn back, if you've got your Old Testament, to Isaiah 9. And I want us to think about it, because uh, the Scripture promises these things. And, you know, in the Old Testament, you have this dual purpose of the prophecies, the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And many of the things you'll read, you've probably already read on Christmas cards, intermingle those two. You'll see a verse on a Christmas card, and it will, you'll say, well, that's partially true, but is the rest of it just kind of a pipe dream? I mean, peace on earth? Well, you know, there isn't, but we like to pretend. Wouldn't it be great if every day were like Christmas? I heard a secular, you know, singer uh, sing yesterday. If every day were like Christmas, what a world this would be, you know. And so is it just kind of make-believe? No, no. He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. And God isn't done yet. But look at Isaiah uh, 9, 6. A child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Oh, I love that verse, don't you? That's one of my favorite ones when I see it on a Christmas card. I just love that prophecy. A child's going to be born to us. A son will be given to us. But read the next line. The government will rest on his shoulders. Is that the case today? I hope not. <laughs> It doesn't look to me like it. No, that's not the case. It will be. The government will rest on his shoulders when he returns. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal. And there will be no end, look at verse 7, to the increase of his government or of peace or the throne of David over his kingdom. That isn't just poetry. That's true. But it isn't yet happened. 
or look, turn a page over to chapter 11 and think on these things. Chapter 11, verse, uh, verse 6, when he's describing this, he says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea, everybody will know who Jesus Christ is. And the child can put his hand by the cobra's den? Yeah, I mean, read that and enjoy it. Eastern Oregon will look like Western Oregon. (laughs) Maybe some of you think Western Oregon will look like Eastern Oregon. I don't know. But I know one thing. Southern California will look like Willamette Valley. (laughs) And the Willamette Valley will get Southern California's weather, you know. And we'll both get Montana's skies. I mean, it's going to be wonderful to think about. And we should. This is what he's got for us. In the meantime, groaning. The whole creation is groaning, awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. Now, that's what we ought to be waiting for. You see, people vainly think that, yeah, things are messed up. If we could just get back to nature, if we could just get, man has messed things up. Well, they're partly true, and that's partly right. We have messed things up. But if we could just get back to nature, well, you look back in history when we didn't have some of the advancements that we've made, you know, some of the technology we had, how was it then? What was the lifespan? What, what went on then? If we, could just get, if we could just get rid of all these chemicals and stuff, then things would be right. Is that the case? I was up at the dental school the other day, going to speak to the dental students a couple of weeks ago, and I, before I spoke, I looked at the signs on the wall, you know, the plaques and stuff, and they, they tell me up there, so I take their word for it, that 200 years ago, teeth were a leading cause of death. Well, I'm glad somebody built a dam so that when they put the drill on, they can do it. You know what I mean? There's electricity to get my tooth. I mean, you know, it isn't going to help to just go back to nature. That won't, uh, that won't solve things. It's, it's not that simple. There's something deeper. Uh, earaches used to kill people regularly. Parents had to su- watch their children suffer with abscess on the ear and, and die. I mean, think about that, parents. So it's false to think if we could just get rid of technology, if we could just get back to nature. Listen, nature's hostile. It's been subjected to futility. There's problems out there. We got a letter just yesterday from a missionary close friend of ours in Kiev, and she was saying how uh, some of her ministry is going into the hospitals there because as, as people and families, they have such poor care in the Ukraine, that she can take food into the family members of, of people she's led to Christ. And she said, one of my converts had an appendicitis recently, and I was going over, and she said, and just kind of in passing, by the way, there they just do, use local uh, anesthetic for, the, uh, for an appendicitis, and then she just put in parentheses, don't think about it too long. And I said, yeah, don't think about it too long. And I thought about when our daughter had appendicitis, how grateful I am for the technology that we have. But the technology, on the other hand, isn't going to solve our problems either, is it? Oh, no. Uh-uh. It won't. Uh, as grateful as I am for all the things that, you know, we've come up with and for the drugs 
that have helped us so much. Have you noticed what I notice when they, now that they're advertising drugs? And they tell you, this is great stuff. Be sure and ask your doctor for it. And then the guy goes on fast forward. You know what I mean? By the way, if you take this, you might have a sudden death. Whatever. You go, whoa. <laughs> you think, well, I'd, I'd still like it, doc. You go, I'm not sure. And I think they're all getting onto that fast forward stuff as kind of people listen in maybe. So now lately they, when they do the drug thing, you know, they say, you need this. This will help you. This will help you. And then they don't do the fast forward disclaimer. They have a soothing female voice. By the way, if you take XYZ, just remember it may cause he- dizziness, headaches, sudden death, and other things that you better beware of. And you go, hmm, uh, it's going to be interesting whether the drugs go up or down. <laughs> you know, I can just see people in the doctor's office saying, I want that stuff. And you go, there's side effects to these things. And, you know, we kid about it, but some of you know that you're, you're, you're pressed in. You're, it's just what this word groaning is all about. The doctor says, well... We can give you this and it might help that, but on the other hand, here's what it causes. That's the world we live in. And that's what Paul wrote about 1900 years ago under the inspiration of the Spirit. The creation is suffering and groaning and waiting, waiting for the return of Christ. And we're fools to think we can solve our problems by going back to nature. If we could just get this environment cleaned up. And on the other hand, we're not going to solve things with our technology. You think of all the toxic waste and all the other things. It is frightening. What is the solution? God Himself in Christ. That's the solution. And we're waiting eagerly for Christ's return. And we should be. And the whole creation is. Are you? Are you? I mean, I'm asking you, do you know Jesus Christ? so that you're eagerly anticipating His return. And you know that when He's revealed in glory, you'll be with Him. No, be sure you know Him. It's the only thing that will deliver you from your problems, ultimately. And so we say, what is the ultimate answer? And what's the ultimate question? What's the ultimate answer? I'll tell you, it's Christ. And He's going to set things right even in creation. Notice as we close, verse 20. The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope. In hope. You know, this hope does not disappoint. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, Hebrews says, a hope both sure and steadfast, a hope which is entered within the veil where Jesus is entered as our forerunner. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. He's seated at the right hand of glory. He's waiting that day when the Father says go, and He's going to come down here and set things right, and we're going to be revealed with Him in glory. And the whole universe is awaiting that day. And that should be the tone of our hearts. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Awaiting Glory, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. 
It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. We're awaiting the full expression of our adoption as sons. Yes, we've been adopted, but we're awaiting the adoption of sons. What does he mean by that in Romans 8? Well, you see, having the first fruits of the Spirit, he says, we're groaning, waiting eagerly the completion of the whole thing. And stay right here in 2 Corinthians and read on. Uh, every time he mentions this, he, he ties it together this way. Look at verse 5. Now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge, a down payment. This is an economic term he uses, as earnest money. How do I know God's going to finish what he started in my life? He gave me his Spirit as a pledge. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, Awaiting Glory. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.